It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by a brand new thriller out now on DVD and digital platforms all around Australia and the world, The Bay of Silence. It's based on Lisa St. Alban de Tehran's haunting novel of the same name, and it's written by our guest today on the show. It's a psychological thriller. It stars Clay Bang, Olga Kurilenko, and the awesome Brian Cox. It's an international thriller in the tradition of uh, films like Gone Girl or The Girl on the Train and Ask Questions. How well do you know your partner? Here's a little clip from the trailer. Please say yes. (laughs) It's heaven. There you are. More radiant than ever. Oh, my God. Still spoiling her, Milton. I am in a position to help. Financially. I can look after us. Don't be too proud, Will. We have many publications that are dedicated to promoting the cause of climate change and radical action on climate change. So that's okay, is it? It's okay to be a propagandist for one side, but if one is a critic or skeptic about some of yep. these issues, that's not okay. And, and so you've just what you've just no, disclosed, no. no, but what you've just disclosed is the fundamental problem that that the company you work for and its friends in politics like Trump and others have turned this issue of physics into an issue of values or identity. Now, saying you believe, saying, saying that you believe or disbelieve in global warming is like saying you believe or disbelieve in gravity. You've turned something that should be a question of engineering and economics into undiluted ideology and idiocy, and we are paying the price in delayed action to address global warming. And your employer, Paul, has got a huge share of the blame for this. It is a shocking legacy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. It's the 123rd episode of this minute-by-minute podcast analysis series. And sometimes uh, I utterly fluke uh, an amazing guest, and that is today. So in the series, you know, I'm often tinkering, planning. We've been talking to historians, journalists, lecturers, film people, actors, editors. uh, And it just so happens that my great guest today is someone who is an actor who's acted in some of the biggest movies almost ever, um, who is now trying a hand for the first time in a later part of her career as a writer. Uh, And it's just an absolute thrill to get to bring a craftsperson to talk about the craft of this movie. It is 123 minutes. That's more than two hours into this bad boy. And so why not get someone who's acted in the Royal Shakespeare Company? Why not get someone who's acted in little films about historical events, you know, Oscar winning best pictures like Schindler's List or acted in films like Cliffhanger and Hook and Disclosure. And one of my personal favorites is she's in White Squall, a very underseen 
Ridley Scott movie with Jeff Bridges, which is just divine. If you get a chance, we might talk about that a bit later, but has now very, very recently just uh, tried to hand at both acting and writing a film called The Bay of Silence. It's my distinct pleasure to welcome Caroline Goodall to All the President's Feelings. Caroline, thank you so much for making the time to be on the show. Oh, Blake, thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. So, I mean, I've I've been deep diving on your resume and on your career, but I want to know, like, uh, as an individual now, uh, because you've had this international cosmopolitan career where you've worked in the States and you've worked and you live and work overseas and you've also spent some time in Oz. What's your relationship as an actor to new Hollywood and to films like all the president's men? Is this, is this your seminal years as a moviegoer? Is this the kind of years that you were like looking at movies and going, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to be an actor. You're too damn right. (laughs) You looked up how old I am. Can I I just quickly shout out to all my wonderful family and friends in Australia, uh, all the islands and the messengers in Sydney and in Melbourne, uh, you know, all my 31st cousins, all my aunts and uncles, and just say I am so sorry that I am not there with you. We can't have our red carpet moment with my film coming out, The Bay of Silence. Um, but I love you all and uh, thank you. Just, yeah, just want to give a shout out in case they're listening. And, um, and, and but, also uh, only yes. days ago, because there are quite a contingent of people who listen in Melbourne, only days ago cinemas just opened in Melbourne. So in Sydney, uh, we can't have you here in person to see this thing and get a proper premiere and sort of uh, claim you as we often do with international people, just claim you as an Australian for, for, the, for the purposes of this. I am an Aussie. <laughs> I have an Aussie passport. What, I'm more Australian Ju- than anything. <laughs> <laughs> Ju- you keep that passport, right? New Zealand and Aussie oh, passports yeah, yeah. are a very valuable thing these days. <laughs> exactly. But, um, I said that to yeah. Um, but so, you know, I was just having a look back and I was looking at your career and I, I, I had to ask because I would imagine, I think all of us cinephiles my age and then you're just ahead of me, I look at that and I go, you know, we'd already the whole we'd had a whole another era of films that were influenced by the 1970s that came afterwards and then we're kind of looking back at the 90s which is kind of bastardizing everything that happened in the 80s and the 70s together and you you're 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 taking off out of the shakespeare company in that early 90s period and are hitting such an amazing purple patch of your career right at some of the big seminal movies in the 90s but i always look back at those 90s actors those 90s performers and even those working directors and i think a lot of these folks started early days, new Hollywood, late seventies or inspired by or started training. And that's, that's all the energy they bring to their career. Totally. Uh, the seventies, I think is one of the great eras of movie making. Um, and, uh, you know, this particular film, 1976, all the president's men, um, with these great, artists at the height of their powers one of whom of course i went on to work with and hook uh, dustin hoffman uh, i know um and directed by alan j Pakula. uh it's completely that period that i certainly was steeped in um growing up um i was in a teenager during this period i was a huge movie goer and theater goer um, and these films stay with you, they resonate, and they are extraordinary. Um, this particular movie, of course, my God, I mean, when you sent me that <laughs> clip of the 
of Ziegler as the press secretary defending Nixon and the Watergate conspiracy, and it's like nothing's happened since no, no. then I, and now. I, I, the, I, you know, the <laughs> Trump playbook is going. It's incredible, actually, to, to witness. And I think it's very important, actually, for us. I, I am going back to watch that film tonight because, <laughs> because what we don't realize is that things are cyclic and yes. actually exactly what they're doing now they've learned from the past and they're doubling down because they realize that oh, man. oh yeah well he should you know <laughs> maybe he shouldn't have actually resigned <laughs> um but but we always think that we're in the worst moment in history yes that we're living through it now and the only thing i can say with a bit of benefit of hindsight is there have been lots of worst, worst moments, moments in history and um to look back at that particular clip that you asked me to look at and compare it to now, it's just extraordinary, the parallels. And um, it, it makes me feel two things. It makes me feel both a little depressed that we <laughs> haven't really got anywhere, but at the same time, also, it gives me a certain level of hope that regardless of the dark times that we think we're in, we as human beings do have the extraordinary capacity to be able to find the good, to find the compassion in ourselves, to, to look for the truth. And I do think that that's the great thing about films. And actually, you know, my own film, I will digress, but is also about a search for the truth. Most films are. And, um, you know, that's so this is the great thing is this film is about the press. It's about freedom of the press. It's about telling the truth. It's about finding the truth, following the money. Say. <laughs> um, and um, just such a sort of precursor of what, how we have to continue to be vigilant. Yes. In every way, every generation, there will be a group of people who are going to try and subvert freedom for their own ends. And we just have to stand up and constantly be counted. Even And the extraordinary thing is a pandemic, of course, is the perfect time to subvert your freedom. Yeah. And it's not and, and artists and writers and, you know, the media, whatever you want to call them, the fourth estate who, yes, we do know can manipulate in the most terrible way because there are two sides, of course, to the media. And, you know, we know that Rupert Murdoch's got a lot to answer for. You being, uh, you, well being his, an, you being an Aussie, you essentially being an Aussie would know probably more intimately than anyone in our well, small country here, how, how influential that that stranglehold can be. Oh, absolutely. But I'll tell you something else. My mother is a journalist. She was on the Sydney Sun before it became the Sun Herald. My father uh, was a book distributor and newspaper distributor as well. And uh, so actually the Maxwell's and the Murdoch's <laughs> um, and that whole era and the Fairfaxes were people who were known pretty well to my parents. And of course, I heard a lot of stories growing up. <laughs> oh, so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's only by slight default that I'm not a journalist. This is probably why the writing and the scribbling <laughs> came in because uh, my mother was you know, a great writer. 
uh, and my and, and books were just you know it was well you can see behind me here but yeah you know, your great your great home library is stacks on yeah. stacks on stacks behind <laughs> you um there's a lot I, of italian ones uh, <laughs> well this is this is the thing in preparation for the show and as we're sort of ramping up to the finish line now I've watched these scenes in and out of order many times now in preparation to talk to you. And literally today, because we're all doom scrolling on our Twitter feeds or on our news feeds, and you're just seeing oh. the clips of, especially the whole not contesting the loss of the election stuff. And this Ziegler scene is like, you couldn't, you couldn't time it better to say, if there's one you thing couldn't. that the, the Republican party seemed to learn from this period is that Nixon's playbook is, we deny, 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 deny until it is literally too late, and li until it is, no matter how bad we have to perjure ourselves, we're gonna we're gonna deny everything because someone didn't have a testimony on that day in that way. But it doesn't matter. We're just gonna go hard in the paint, and and you just see these journalists. And what's great in the following scenes, which we can slightly cheat on before we actually get to the moment to watch it together. I, I just go, thank God for some vigilance of going, you know, Bradley's great phrase and, and obviously Jason Robard's delivery. Fuck it. We'll stand by the boys. Like there's just nothing more that you need than to go, no, we stand by our story. This is what it is. This is the facts. We're going to be vindicated. It's you guys who are actually lying. And uh, yeah, it's, it's insane. It's an insane film to watch this year and examine minute by minute this year, let me tell you. It certainly is, isn't it? And of course, the other insane thing is that Bob Woodward has written two books on Trump and Trump was very happy to talk two. to him about his playbook too. I mean, it's extraordinary two. thing about Trump is that he certainly doesn't even try to hide what he's doing. Say, say as, a, as, a pod, so anyway. as a podcaster and someone who interviews someone, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for like, oh, great, can I get an hour? Oh, yeah, you can have a, over an hour. They've got an hour and a half gap. You should be great. Not a problem. Yeah. Trump gives 18 hours to Bob Woodward as a president and purges himself like daily while he's doing that. And he's like one of the greatest journalists in American history, just taking notes. All right, here we go. We're going to do this. Insanity. Totally is. So, so tell me how this works. So are we going to play this and we're going to talk through it? Well, as it because, goes, so because, because some people, camera movement. But absolutely and the actors and choices of framing and all that stuff you know what? You, you know i'm going to keep all this in because i guarantee you there's going to be new people listening when they see your name on this episode so i'm going to say exactly that caroline right now and i are going to watch this minute together everyone who's listening along are purely going to listen to the minute and then we're going to come back and we can unpack all of these wonderful choices and the fact that this scene which just hangs on this sensational bit of real life footage archival footage um so many great performances in faces in gestures in scrunched up bodies in framing it's just a masterwork so we're going to watch that 60 seconds right now we're going to come back and talk about it i'm later at the white house news secretary ronald ziegler delivered a strong attack on the washington post why is the post trying to do it uh, you have a man uh, uh, who's the editor of the washington post by the name of ben bradley i think anyone who would want to honestly assess what his political persuasions are would uh, would uh, they come to the conclusion quite quickly that he is not a supporter of uh, President Nixon. So I respect the free press. I don't respect the type of journalism, the shabby journalism that is being practiced by the Washington Post. All I know is that the story that ran this morning is incorrect and has been so uh, stated 
being incorrect by not only me, but by the individual whose grand jury, secret grand jury testimony, they based their story on. And that individual has denied that he ever so testified. No sooner had Ziegler finished than the president's campaign manager. There it is, Caroline. Okay. What a, what a sensational 60 seconds to talk about. It really is, isn't it? Um, well, of course, we've spoken about the context of it um, and what it was about a little just prior to that. But of course, quick backtrack, Ziegler, who in fact seemed to be the only, you know, he was one of the few who was loyal to Nixon right to the end. Uh, yes. He was his press secretary. He had been... What I found interesting also was he didn't have a journalistic background and most press secretaries did. And it was part of um, a, a push by Nixon to um, undermine the press by not having someone who was a journalist talking to other journalists. So he was yes. outside of the media, uh, which I think is really interesting. But in terms of the actual shooting of it, what I find really interesting, because it is only 60 seconds and to kind of unpack 60 <laughs> seconds of, of cuts is, but I mean, the great thing about Pakula is number one, this is a handheld scene. Yes. The camera is using certain cinema verite, uh, you know, techniques, which of course is used throughout the whole thing, you know, sort of documentary style. And this is one of the few movies and I, perhaps you've said this, I don't know. Um, where this idea of the sort of documentary uh, feel and that spontaneity and flying on the wall was becoming, starting to be used in filmmaking in increasing manner as part of, as you said, this sort of 70s new wave kind of feel. Whereas before, um, you know, movies had, you know, were tend to be more formal. Yes. Uh, so there's this sort of lack of formalism. But what it does, of course, is it takes you right into the center of what's going on. You feel the emotions. Um, interesting close up, you start on robots. Um, and then what you a face to the others, you amazing face. Um, you start on their faces and you hear the beginning of the of the um, press conference, um, and then you go to the television in this wonderful old. <laughs> the, I miss it. I miss it, Caroline. I miss. <laughs> I I want a button. Give me a. We had a we had a TV. We had a TV in a spare room. I can't find the remote. I just want a button. I have to reach behind and unlock the damn thing. It's so frustrating. It's so much easier, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. Um, and then you go. So you've got, and he cuts, you know, he doesn't sort of, he just goes big, big close up on robots looking cut. bit glum, mm. then cut to another close up, then cut to the TV. And you just on, on this archive footage on the television and then back to a three, which is interesting of the three mm. main newsmen, just as, Ziegler's saying he's undermining the press. He says shabby journalism. Shabby journalism. And they look at each other for a moment. But what's interesting is Pakula also has taken the temperature out of the room a bit in that he's told them, 
basically be very cool, be very calm. This is, you know, you are professionals. We do, you know, this is a very shocking moment, but it, you can tell in the direction he's told the actors don't give the shock for the audience. Let the audience feel the shock by listening and just by looking at your faces as you just kind of look at each other in disbelief, but without a huge amount of overt emotion. Um, and a choice could have been that they would have just all gone, you know, thrown <laughs> pieces of paper up in the air and shouted at the screen. I mean, that's another way of doing it, shouting yes. at the screen, saying, you fucker, how could you, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't. It's sort of done in this sort of silence. And of course, therefore, that's why it it's just more effective because they're letting us join in that scene and be the audience with the journalists there. And then you get that two shot, of course, on Woodward um, and Bernstein and they look at each other and you can see that they, that's that turning point for them. Yes. They're not going back now. That is the turning point where they are going to double down themselves. I mean, what has just been laid in front of them is actually the gauntlet has just been thrown down. And I think what's interesting is that in a way, it, it, it's sort of like a shootout of the OK Corral. You know, <laughs> one side through the TV, I've... you've got Ziegler, who's, you know, who's coming out and... It's it. This the, is pure. The, the, it's you're in Italy. You. It, this is pure Sergio Leone. I can't believe that you said it because I yeah. literally have it in my notes. Because it's Robard is a Leone guy. Face, yeah. face, face. It is a standoff, and it it's is. so it's so brilliant to hear. And I think I'm so grateful to talk to you about this scene in particular because I think it's so great to get your insight to go as an actor and now as a screenwriter and someone who's been on the stage taking the temperature out of that room it's kind of like that you know you know that old silly cliche and you've got kids so you'll probably say it's like, i'm not mad i'm disappointed because that's this moment <laughs> because like you're expecting fury and you're like jesus because you hear in just the preceding minute we get the infamous woodstein that's shouted through the cavernous newsroom they're all the way at the other end they walk all the way through to, to witness this moment and they oh. don't get a dressing down live. They get what is unfathomably brutal silence and having to hear oh. Ziegler just shout the worst possible barbs at them, which is shabby journalism, which these three guys, Harry Rosenfeld, oh. Simons and Bradley, um, so beautifully played, you know, Balsam and Balsam and Jack Warden, both in 12 Angry Men, which is just giving a whole, you know, different cinematic legacy and energy to the scene too. But they're there oh. disappointed. And, and both the guys look bitterly disappointed in themselves as they're continuing to watch in that final twofer, as you said, it's just, uh, it's a really, it's, I, this is why I do projects like this because the great movies do not have a second, not a minute wasted. And, and this could totally have been another scene, but like you said, such a, a power to take the temperature out of the movie right before the climax, take the temperature out and make you dwell in their disappointment. It's so, so true. But I think this is the great thing when you analyze films um, and why we can go and see great films over and over again. Um, because each scene is a three act structure. Yes. It doesn't matter how short 
a scene is. It's still got a beginning, a middle, and an end. And of course, a film has a beginning, a middle, and an end. <laughs> um, so there's there's all those little three act structures that then go into a larger sequence. It's got a three act structure that then is packed into a larger sequence with a three act structure, and that is something that the writer. And, you know, the, the director and, 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 and the actors always have to keep in the back of their mind what is the pace of a scene as well and where does it fit in the whole of uh, the, the story that you're telling. And I think this is also one of the things why I actually love feature films. And I know that we're so into long form television at the moment and talking about this renaissance in writing and TV, but I can hold a film in my head yes i can hold that story in my head and i can go back to it and i can think about it the issue i have with long-form television when you've got these everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule and of course the cost well better help can solve those problems it's totally online and built around your schedule it's surprisingly affordable too Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply huge arcs of storylines and also inevitable multi-character storylines uh, that have to happen because you've got 10 episodes to fill plus another five seasons, <laughs> yes. um, is, is that I can't hold those stories in my head so well. I so enjoy them while I'm watching them. I'm absolutely obsessed. And, you know, when you get that seconds and it's ticking away and you think, oh, God, I have to watch the next episode and it's 2 o'clock in the morning. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, but there is something for all of us filmmakers about making feature films that is just really compelling and satisfying about telling a story in a three act structure with a beginning, a middle and an end that we can encompass in our heads. And The Bay of Silence for me is also like that. People oh. said, you know, uh, you know and, and I just think, yes, but you know, and when you talk about the 70s, what's interesting is that, of course, at the same time, you've got Nick Rogue. Yes. Um, you've got, Peter you know. Weir. Um, Peter Weir. Yes. Peter Weir. I mean, you've got, my God, you've got the whole burgeoning of the new Australian film industry as well at that yeah. moment as well, mm -hmm. which is coming through thanks to a bit of grant funding. <laughs> like I um, but, but, but the thing about bay as well is that when we were talking about the look we actually wanted to have that retro 70s sort of feel about it yes um we and we looked at the work of nick rogue i mean i do think you know i mean don't look now definitely was an inspiration for the for the feel of the piece as well as polanski and as well as hitchcock um and but in terms of just the design um the, the shooting style that Guido van Gennep and Paula uh, wanted 
to adopt, um, which, you know, they looked at bad timing, for example, and we used anamorphic lenses and those shots where you might have a close up, but someone's in the sort of corner of a screen and there's some sort of black or blank on the on the other side, the dark, because also that helps to a certain extent with suspense and with mystery. But it, it's, it's a cinematic language um, that is a little bit more formal, even though at the time, you know, then it wasn't formal. It, but now what we have But it's is the bridge. It's the bridge, yeah. I think, that you're talking about, bridge. which which is it going, is it's going, there is this, and, and, in, and in Presidents and I think in Bay, there there is like stringent formalism for some parts of it, which which make it so... You know, it, it plays to that those enigmatic qualities, and you know, you go you go to the car park scenes. There's nothing more formalist than the car park scene, or a or a or a house, a creepy seaside house on a French hill. Like there's nothing, you know, <laughs> you know, as in Bay. Um, there's these creepy moments that are really stringently formalist, but then that there is really another gothic. really gothic, yeah. and then there's other energy. And I think that it's the ability to make whatever that tone is, that it seems totally plausible and seamless to go from, you know, a, a romantic, you know, beautiful, uh, you know, picturesque into fearful, gothic, scary, like those moments. And I just want to reiterate something for you for, that you said, I think is so powerful as well is that's, I'm so like you with cinema. I can, I have so many friends that go, do you want to watch this series? It's great. I go, how many, the first thing I say, cause I'm just ruthless. I go, how many episodes is it? And they're like, oh, it's 24 episodes a season. They're 45 minutes each. There's six seasons. And I go, there is no way in hell I'm watching one even episode. Like I go, do you know how many films I could watch? Do you know how many great films I, I, I haven't seen? Like there's like lists of curated, amazing long lists of great films. I'm like, you would never catch me dead watching all of that. Like, it's just not going to happen. And, and that's why I think, you know, um, another one of my friends of the show who's an author and a screenwriter, Jordan Harper, he says, Blake, I love a tight 90. And that's exactly what Bay of Silence is. I love a tight 90 minute movie. A tight Tell, 90? Tight 90. Get in, get, like he goes, get in, get out. I want, I want you to tell me a story. I want really effective, lean storytelling. I want to be, I want to be entertained or moved or creeped out or, you know, affected by a script. And then I want to get out of there. And you just can't do that with a, you know, a, a, a seven year commitment to a game of thrones you can't do that and, and that's um yeah that's that's my thing is I, I i don't know i find something so rewarding in great films and just really efficient storytelling there's just some, there's an there's a definite art to that then you know the more languid pieces that you get to go as long as you like and there's no boundaries Oh, I'm I'm very with you there. Although actually, I am a Game of Thrones fan, and actually, <laughs> I just recently I was I was shooting during the pandemic in in Dubrovnik. We were picking up five days on on a, a film called The Islander, which is kind of uh, quite cool. Which hopefully will be coming out next year. Uh, sort of steampunk, sci-fi, futuristic thing. But I have to tell you, I did get a bit of a kick sitting on the. Uh, the, the Game of Thrones throne uh, in the <laughs> island of Soft Dubrovnik, and I was alone. I was alone. You were all by yourself. <laughs> I was alone with the throne. <laughs> I did selfies, but actually, unfortunately, there was no, I, I needed someone to take a proper picture of me and, because, in fact, it doesn't look good. And, but and, it was just extraordinary because, of course, there was no no tourists there. It was, no, it was quite amazing. Oh, my God. Well, that alone with the throne, that could, that's it. There's another, there's a, there's another story entirely. All right, let's, so 
you've had such an amazing career as an actor. And I think that one of the things we, we have to talk a bit about is your film here is that I, I think that in your film, this, the biggest, one of the biggest compliments I can give you in Bay of Silence is I had absolutely no idea where this thing was going. And I don't necessarily think that the, you know, it wasn't like a clockwork mystery. It was, you know, you didn't have a, 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 a staunch, you know, uh, gumshoe detective that was going through and putting all the pieces together. You had these people floundering around these facts and floundering around this discomfort and this, th- these challenging moments. Um, but I, I, I found it really amazing to be completely and utterly shocked by the movie without spoiling. So I don't want to spoil anything. I just want to say that I was shocked and I was affected and uh, it was, it was just an incredible piece. And so I have to ask, like, it's one of your first adaptations. How, how did, how did the, the book, which I understand is drastically different from the film. How did, how did it all happen? How did this happen for you? Oh God, I probably have a really weird imagination. Um, <laughs> um, I, golly, um, I think I came at it from the point of view, as I said, of wanting to write a mystery thriller. And I really do like um, those movies from the seventies that don't look nows and the vanishing, they were really too, great inspirations for me but partly because their themes are very similar you've got yes. the death of a child in don't look now and in the vanishing you've got a man who goes looking for his his girlfriend who's disappeared into thin air um and um i was inspired by those films uh, and i also there are themes that are buried or maybe not too deep in this film that are quite demanding yes. and for me, when you start make, you know, when you try to make a movie and you're an actor um, and also a, a woman, dare I say it, they want you to make low budget, you know, start with something easy and with a low budget and a horror movie, please. Yeah. <laughs> because you don't, need, you, don't, you don't need stars for horror movies. There's a huge, you know, following out there. And it's sort of seen as a sort of safe place, uh, especially for women. It, you know, horror movie, you could do that. Or yes, you could do a nice kind of girly comedy. Um, <laughs> and I, I guess I, I'm either stupid or overambitious. And I felt that if I was really going to double down and be lead producer, which is what I ended up being on this film as well, and, you know, finding the money and putting the team together and, you know, the main cast and everything, I didn't want to have just, you know, a few hundred thousand to play with and, and work just as hard. I wanted a little bit more money than that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to do something that, you know, maybe it would be the only thing that, you know, I ever managed to do. So, you know, let's at least have some really great people in it. And let's go to three countries <laughs> <laughs> and let's try and raise enough money for it. And I have to tell you, it's still a tiny, tiny budget. Yes. Um, and it looked so much bigger i mean uh, people have said to me oh it must be about 10 million or something i said no it's three <laughs> <laughs> um so i take my hat off to um you know paula and guido for that as well for you know really being able to shoot in such a short period of time and you know really make it work um and not compromise themselves uh but 
yes, I mean, going back, I just thought, if I'm going to tell a story, I do want it to be about something. I don't want it to be a slasher horror, and I don't necessarily want to flag the end to everybody, you know, yes. who the baddie is. And, but I did want a feel that within all this, in the same way as a Polanski movie, I mean, if you think of Chinatown, Chinatown is actually about sexual abuse and incest. Yeah. Absolutely. But, but when you, but, but we think of Chinatown with that great William Golden script as being about water and <laughs> kind of like a sort of police thriller with Jack Nicholson being yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we forget, you know, that Houston, the brilliant, you know, Houston plays. It, it, it's all about incest. So, so I think the interesting thing about. Bay was also to be able to slide those themes in, all of which we do deal with. Probably, you know, we're all very open to and we know about and deal with in our own lives, not incest so much, but, yeah. you know, tough stuff that we all have to face um, and put it within that framework of uh, the sort of, you know, more of a Hitchcock style thriller and also throw in in a way for fun, partly, but also because <laughs> the audience understands what we're doing, throw in the tropes, yeah. you know, don't hide them, don't hide the MacGuffin of the suitcase, don't, you know, find the most gothic house you possibly can <laughs> on a cliff with, you know, we don't have the, the you know, we've got seagulls are our birds and they just happen to be there, which was absolutely wonderful. It was like, yes, <laughs> quick, <laughs> fake, fake, right quick, quick, shoot the camera where the seagulls are right now. Exactly. You know, and using that all for the soundtrack as well. And having casting actors who actually do look like classic archetypes. Yeah. as well i mean you could put all three of those into a hot uh, those actors into a hitchcock film um and you know make it black and white put a hat on them and my god there they are they're rosalind russell and they're <laughs> jimmy stewart and uh, you know they're john houston so i think that was the important thing as well is to have actors who are able to be those archetypes and but also be deeply contemporary as well yeah. Um, so, because that is what we need from our actors. We need very, very, mo you know, we're used to modern acting. We, we, we're used to total kind of naturalness. But at the same time, I like a bit of formalism, as, as you said, too. So there was a lot of balancing going on and uh, discussions about how to make that work um as well um and also in terms of the production design um and then you just kind of hope that all of that work goes in there and might be picked up but not necessarily it doesn't matter but that it's got a kind of coherent whole on its own and yes you know the a and b plot do kind of collide and there is a lot of going on and there are red herrings and I'm glad that you couldn't figure out <laughs> in a way and uh, you know perhaps we could have been a bit clearer about things but no no uh, that, that wasn't that, 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 that wasn't a criticism it was more like um, I think you know you're, you're talking about Chinatown there's a really great book called The Big Goodbye I've mentioned a couple of times on this show which is a it's oh, it's a it. it's a terrific book that charts the life of Polanski, the life of Robert Town, the writer, the life of Jack Nicholson. Um, and, uh, oh my God, his name escapes me. He was the producer at Paramount. Um, 
any, anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna forget his name. I'm gonna look it up while we're talking. But it talks about all of those okay. guys and the inspirations that they all brought to bear. So with Nicholson and Town, it was a deep relationship. Town was writing about this exactly cyclical worst time in the world, inherent corruption of Los Angeles through the prism of water in the 1930s. Because oh god, did I say William Goldman? Script? You said Goldman. Yes, you sorry, said Goldman. Tom, Robert Town. Town. I knew. I knew who you yeah. meant. I knew we would fix it up when we were talking about it. But it was like. But it was like. So when when Town's writing that script, he's writing it exactly as you said because he's experiencing what he feels is like the worst moment in his life and the worst moment of the that has ever happened in history. And he goes back and sees the inherent corruption in the 30s and like that's that's where I want to go and focus. And then Polanski, obviously mm. as a figure with tragedy that has surrounded his entire life and controversy much later, um, he brings yeah. that in, he brings that into it and they all bring this different energy. And I think why I said with your film that I didn't really know where it was going is because with, and I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. Clace bang. Is that right? Yes. Clace bang. Yeah, Clace, yeah. With, with Clace, He's a, he's not a gumshoe. He's not a detective. He's a man, he's a man and he's under immense pressure and stress and his life is an ordinary man in extraordinary circumstances. Ex it's that classic. And, and so I think if you, if you're just riding this with him, you kind of, you know, I, I try very much to not, I try to go on the ride and it's hard sometimes when you're a film critic or you're a film fan to not see the tropes, but I also love run towards a trope. Like if it's done, it's executed well, run towards it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's what I mean is that you're in with this guy who's under immense pressure. And if you're just following his emotional trajectory, it's not all coming. It doesn't all come uh, into sort of crisp focus until the final act of the movie, which is like where you start to really get those big punches in. And, and so I think that that's a, that's a testament to it uh, more than, more than anything. And I, and I definitely agree. There's something frustrating and you would know this also as an Aussie is, um, and I, and I've said it a few times on the show is I miss like, just give me genre films. Like, because a genre film can say things, you don't just yes. have to have it as a vacant vessel that has nothing. You can really say things. And if you're making like a horrific movie and it's a very moody Nicholas Rogue inspired, you know, uh, early Polanski riff um, about modern times, you can really play with some dark themes that feel very prescient and very real. And so for me, I'm like, this is the perfect kind of movie. Like let's, let's make 20 more of these, no more TV shows, Netflix for a year. You can't make any more. I want 50 movies like this from every country in the world because it's like, they're just short and sharp. And so th that's kind of where, where I'm saying is like, um, you know, I don't think genre is a dirty word. I kind of like, I, I, you know, the business is the business, which is great to get the insight from you. But in my mind, I think, you know, let, let, let 20 more great female filmmakers such as yourself and, uh, and Paula get together and just make disturbing, horrific movies together and we can watch them and enjoy them. <laughs> Sounds good. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Although I do have a, I have, I have an idea for comedy next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like, I need some, Blake, I need a break. And that's okay. That's okay. It'll, it'll probably be a disturbing comedy though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I also find, you know, I mean, the weird thing is people say, why does, you know, and I think so interesting. And I've met so many kind of well, people who seem to be generally kind of quite happy and outgoing, but they really love dark stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just one of those things. And like often dark, moody people, they're the ones who are kind of writing the comedies and, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you <laughs> know, that. 
things are really depressive. Yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the next the next project that we're doing as a minute by minute project or as a, an extensive deep dive is Zodiac because I just can't get enough of it. It's one of my favorite films, Fincher's Zodiac. Oh, what, from- the Zodiac Killer. The Zodiac Killer Finch's film from uh, from 2007, um, starring one of the stars of your movie, Brian Cox, as well. So uh, yeah, that's yes. a, that's that's one of the that's one. But again, extremely dark movie in the in the grand scheme well, of things. Well, you know what? You'll have when you do that, we'll have to ring Brian up, and he's going to have to do <laughs> 60 seconds. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna call, I'm gonna call you. I'm gonna call you. That's a if that's a promise. Definitely. I think the listeners are here, but yeah. So I. I Look, it's been immensely um, amazing to talk to you about this 60 seconds oh, of movie and, wow. and, and, and a huge congratulations on the film. And I'm uh, obviously now it's going to be, it's totally unconventional. It's going to go around on VOD and it might get some theaters in Sydney and the whole world is different, but um, you know, more movies like this and congratulations on the film and just a thank you for your insight and your craft. And, uh, and I think people are going to get a, a real kick out of hearing you talk about craft so deeply on the show. Oh, well, thank you. And I just want to say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sad that, you know, me and my family can't have our red carpet moment. We did get a small opening in the United States, which was really great. And we had our opening actually at the Shanghai International Film Festival was our uh, main festival opening that was, you know, kind of good. But then after, you know, it was just like the pandemic's just kind of stopped everything short. I will say, though, that this film, I think, is going to be absolutely okay on, um, you know, the smaller screen. I've even seen it on the phone because I wanted to see <laughs> how it stood up. And I was actually, you know, I was, I thought, wow, actually that works. It's fine. So, so from that point of view, even though we did use anamorphic lenses and it looks, it looks incredible yeah. on the big screen and the grade is, it's just amazing. And the sound is so good. It, it, it also can be viewed because it is a character piece. And essentially so you're gonna you're gonna sneak you know some what? people on the airplane too someone's gonna see beautiful people being attractive and seaside and go what's what are they watching i'm gonna get when people get on planes again they're gonna go what are they watching oh what's that called bay of silence that sounds like it might something. be fun it sounds like it, it might be fun and you'll turn it on and it will absolutely <laughs> shake people to the core and disturb people and uh yeah that's 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 you know the best the best possible thing but I love that on the long haul flights, you know, I yeah. like to see four or five films. I'll usually mix it up with a classic, something really disturbing. And yeah. then, and then perhaps, you know, a popcorn <laughs> movie, but I just quickly want to say that Betsy Hamlin, shout out to her of Cine Sky was my first investor. She bought the film for blinds because she actually, I happened to know her and she's an old mate up the hill. And I said, oh, could you read the script? And she said, this is not normally something I'd print airline because actually it's a little disturbing and we try and stay away from, uh, you know, anything to do with child death or anything like that. <laughs> but she said, I read this and she said, I'm buying it. And then of course, poor Betsy, this year, she hasn't been able to sell one movie to, you know, so she's sitting in Wisconsin, tearing her hair out, um, hoping that, you know, things will get better next year. So shout out to Betsy, who is great. And actually, she bought the dressmaker too, and she came down to Australia and um, hung out with us all there. So they're all filmmakers, these distributors as well. Um, and, you know, we often give them a bad time and a hard run because, yes, you know, they do, you know, 
want their money, but um, they they live or die by films. We all do, um, and theatre, of course, you know, this is that's desperate. So I'm just so glad Australia's been so smart coming out of lockdown. Uh, no new cases yesterday no. in Melbourne, I think. No new cases for straight, like 11, 11, 11 consecutive days. In Sydney, I think we've, we've, we did have a day of three very recently, but no, we've been very... Um, and two of you... the Blue Mountains or something odd. But, um, you know, I'm <laughs> keeping tabs on it because, you know, I, I said to my mum, who's 90 and wants to go back and see her, oh. her, you know, her sisters, you know, let's just get, you know, as soon as we can, let's just get on a plane and go over there. Come so, back. But uh, we're about to go to here in Italy. We've been really good, but now we're going into yellow and then maybe orange and, of course, in the UK. It's, a, it's just a mess. So everybody just stay indoors and, um, <laughs> and enjoy the exterior if you can. But, but, but do watch movies because, you know, every single time you buy a download to a film, it's not much more than a glass of vino that you're not having with your friends. And uh, so you can donate that to the filmmakers, please. And I think that's emphatic enough. Uh, I'm going to put links in the descriptions of the show and on the website oneheatminute.com uh, about uh, where you can find Bay of Silence in Oz and where it's showing and if it's on VOD where you can link to it. Um, Caroline, thank you so much again. This has just been wonderful talking to you. Oh, it's just been such a pleasure. And thank you for inspiring me and I'm going to watch All the Presidents Men tonight. <laughs> wow, thank you so much, Caroline Goodall, for being a part of the show. Um, I'm just immensely proud of everything we've done and I'm so thrilled that people like Caroline uh, in the process of just spruiking her own movie would be willing to come on the show and talk about it and give such rich insights I'm, I'm extremely grateful thank you again guys I hope you enjoyed that chat as much as I did um, if you want to support us this time you can support our great guest Caroline by going and finding The Bay of Silence you can find that on DVD you can find that on video on demand there'll be links in the description of the show to go and do that thank you so much just for the price of Avino, as Caroline put it. Thank you for listening to all the President's Minutes. We're on the downhill slope of the show at ATPM Pod on Twitter, oneheatminute.com. And if you want to follow me, it is one Blake Minute on Twitter and Instagram. We have a great lineup of guests that continue all the way to the finish line on this. Thanks for your support. Keep listening. Nothing's at stake except the Constitution of the United States and maybe the future of the country. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.